Our reading of, of God's law today comes from Proverbs 26, and, and the first 11 verses of Proverbs 26 is describing the woeful inadequacies of the fool. Verse 1, as, some, as snow in summer and rain in harvest, so honor is not fitting for a fool. Verse 3, a whip for a horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the fool's back. Verse 4, do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you also be like him. Verse 5, answer a fool according to his folly, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Verse 6, he who sends a message by the hand of a fool cuts off his own feet and drinks violence. Verse 7, like the dregs of the lame that hang, uh, like, like the legs of the lame that hang limp is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Verse 8, like one who binds a stone in a sling is he who gives honor to a fool. Verse 9, like a thorn that goes into the hand of a drunkard is a proverb in the mouth of fools. Verse 10, the great God who formed everything gives the fool his hire and the transgressor his wages. And verse 11, as a dog returns to his own vomit, so a fool repeats his folly. This is not a very flattering description of the fool. Uh, we're told that uh, the fool is not worthy of honor. He, he requires a rod of correction across his back to restrain him from folly. He cannot engage in rational and sound discussion. He cannot be trusted to relay a message correctly. He resists being educated in the ways of wisdom. He insults and injures people with the words that come out of his mouth. Uh, he's enslaved to the folly of his sin. And it's only because of the common grace of God that he can hold down a job for any amount of time. And that's not a very flattering description, is it? This is because a fool is being portrayed in these verses as the anti-example. He's the person you're supposed to read about and say, I don't want to be like that guy. I don't want to be him. The fool is irrational, he's thick-headed, and he's impervious to wisdom. So impervious to wisdom that his life is characterized by one failure after another. And no matter what he tries to do, he always messes things up, and he always makes things difficult for the people who are around him. But then in verse 12, we're introduced to somebody who's even worse, in a worse condition than the fool. And you may question, after reading the first 11 verses, whether this is really possible, because the fool we just read about uh, is in a very dismal state of affairs. But the Holy Spirit is telling us in verse 12 that there's somebody who's even more irrational, more thick-headed, and more impervious to wisdom than the fool. Who is this person? It's the proud person. It's the conceited person person. It's the person who thinks more highly of himself than he ought. Verse 12, do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. There's more hope for a fool than for him. When I was in elementary school, my friends and I used to play a game where we'd identify two very undesirable situations and then we'd force each other to pick one. You had to pick one, and you'd have to 
discuss why you chose this one over that one. For example, somebody would ask, if you had to choose between having your foot cut off and your hand cut off, which would you choose? Or if you had to choose between being blind and being deaf, which would you choose? And then we'd enjoy discussing the pros and cons of these different situations and why we chose one over the other. Well, God is playing a variation of that game with us right here in verse 12. God is saying that if you had to choose between being a proud person and being a fool, you should choose being a fool. You're better off being a fool. Why? Because there's more hope for a fool. Despite his plentiful deficiencies, the fool knows deep down inside his heart that he is not a wise man. He knows deep down in his heart that he doesn't have all the answers to life. So there's a form of humility that accompanies a fool. Every time he messes something up, he's confronted with his own deficiencies, which is to say the fool is routinely being humbled. Not so with the man who's wise in his own eyes. This is the person who, by the world's standards, is intelligent. He probably achieved good grades in school. Uh, He probably has impressive credentials. He uh, can probably, you know, he can take a seat among the, the armchair philosophers of our day and carry on an intellectual conversation. He is, as Yogi Bear puts it, smarter than the average bear. And people tell him that. People compliment him for his knowledge and his intelligence, which has the effect of puffing him up, uh, making him think more highly of himself than he ought. But what's lacking in this person's life is wisdom. He has knowledge, he has intelligence, but he lacks wisdom. He thinks he's wise, but the wisdom he thinks he has only exists in his own eyes. And that's the problem. He's self-deceived. His pride and conceit make him think he's wise, which makes it nearly impossible to help him see himself as others see him, or more importantly, to help him see himself as God sees him. Jonathan Edwards wrote an excellent treatise on people uh, who are wise in their own eyes. Because of the strong self-deception that's involved in this sin, Edward says that the best way that you and I can discern whether we are wise in our own eyes is to look for telltale signs of pride operating in our heart. Look for telltale signs of pride operating in our life and in our interactions with other people. And so I'm going to share with you five of those telltale signs that Jonathan Edwards has given to us. The first telltale sign is fault-finding. Fault-finding. Pride is the great fault finder. If you have a habit of talking about people's failures, or if your tendency is to critique what other people say or do, rather than to acknowledge the good of what other people say or do, that's pride. That's fault finding. Edward says that the proud person likes to find fault with other people, and especially with other Christians. The proud person will note how low in grace other Christians are, or how cold and dead their faith must be based upon the proud person's observation of them. And this is a telltale sign that 
if, if this is happening in your life, this is a telltale sign that, that you are thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. You very well may be wise in your own eyes. The second telltale sign is a harsh spirit. Proud people will often speak of others with harsh and severe language. And while such severity is appropriate when speaking about the wicked wolves that seek to devour the saints, proud people use that same type of severity of language in reference to their brethren. Moreover, the the person who's wise in his own eyes will, will often ridicule other Christians, particularly ridiculing their secondary distinctions that this proud person happens to disagree with. The third telltale sign is that you're easily offended. Edwards writes, pride takes great notice of opposition and injuries that are received and is prone to be often speaking of them and to be much in taking notice of their aggravation, either with an air of bitterness or contempt. A fourth telltale sign of pride is the hunger for attention the hunger for attention. Proud people often want to be the object of attention. They want others to notice them, to have regard for them. And when others respect them, they receive this as what is properly due to them. And when others do not respect them, they take notice of that and are offended by those who refuse to give them what they think they deserve. And the fifth telltale sign that pride is operating in your heart is neglecting others. Proud people are so concerned about themselves that they have little concern about the needs of other people. Uh, They're so busy about making themselves the object of attention that they fail to notice what other people need, what the attention and concern that other people need. What Jonathan Edwards has contributed with these five telltale signs is, is very helpful to us for at least two reasons. First, it gives us a way of discerning pride within our heart. Um, that alone is, is, is an enormous uh, help, right? We want to know if there's pride in our heart, and so this, this gives us some, some practical ways that we can discern that sin within our own heart. And second, it shows us just how subtle and deceptive the sin of being wise in our own eyes really is. Uh, This is the point that God is making when he says that there's more hope for the fool. At least the fool knows that he's not wise. At least the fool knows that he doesn't have all the answers. And so there's hope that the fool will eventually acknowledge the error of his ways and seek forgiveness from the Lord. That's a much more difficult proposition for the person who's wise in his own eyes because he thinks he knows. He thinks he already knows. He thinks he's right. He thinks he's got it all figured out. And so there's nothing that you can tell him that's going to change his mind. He has nothing to be concerned about since he has everything figured out. So dear friends, if any of these telltale signs suggest that pride might be dwelling in your heart, making you wise in your own eyes, then ask the Lord to reveal this sin to you. Acknowledge to him that you are not the best assessor of yourself 
acknowledge to, to the Lord that you can be blind to your own sin. And then ask the Lord to use his living and powerful word to penetrate deep into your soul and spirit, discerning and exposing the thoughts and intents of your heart so that you may confess your sins to the Lord and forsake them according to the power of the spirit who works in you through grace. And so where the Holy Spirit is born witness of your sin, then confess this to the Lord, bring it to the Lord, knowing and remembering that the Lord is gracious, merciful, and forgiving. He pardons and forgives all who truly repent while trusting in the atoning work of Jesus Christ. And because repentance includes confession, we confess our sins to the Lord. 